is Unladylike. I'm Kristen. Last week, an unlady named Emily DM'd Unladylike on Instagram at Unladylike Media and said, I am in Houston Independent School District and our district was taken over by the state. Please Google HISD. TEA takeover and give the teachers a voice for this crazy situation. Anyway, Emily, my psychic sister, I am one step ahead of you. Because this episode, we are staying in school as we were last week talking about teachers. And this episode, we're going to be talking about teachers, but not classroom teachers. We are talking about the teachers who are school librarians. Because something a lot of people probably don't realize is that school librarians, as in certified librarians, are also teachers. A lot of states, including Texas, require school librarians to also have teaching certification. Sometimes they will also teach in the classroom. And guess what? Librarians also have a classroom, and it is called, say it with me now, the library. And we're going to get more into what school librarians do and why they matter. But first, let me explain what Emily was talking about in terms of the state taking over the Houston Independent School District. Because you might be asking, wait, what? A state? can take over a school district? Yes, they can, and they do. This has happened outside of Texas as well and is usually a a sort of emergency measure to intervene in underperforming and or mismanaged school districts. The move in Texas, however, is one of the largest state takeovers ever. Like Houston is one of the biggest school districts in the country with more than 250 public schools in it. This is also politically significant since Houston is a solidly Democratic outpost in an extremely red state. So here's what went down. This spring, the state of Texas took over the Houston Independent School District, allowing Governor Greg Abbott's administration to boot the district superintendent and elected school board and handpick their replacements. Abbott's pick for the new superintendent, this dude named Mike Miles, who founded a charter school network and is otherwise completely unqualified for the job. More on him later as well. As for the school board, it was swapped out with a board of managers appointed by the Texas Education Agency. And the head of the Texas Education Agency, another guy named Mike, is a Republican who was appointed by Governor Greg Abbott. So do you see a pattern happening here? As for how long the state takeover will last? Great question. It will last at least two years, at which point the district will be evaluated and the state will be like, hmm, do we want to give do we want to give the the local school board back its job? I don't know. We'll see. Or they might just extend it another two years. Kind of unclear. In the meantime, this new superintendent, who, by the way, has been on the job less than three months at this point, 
announced a new plan to shut down the school libraries in 28 elementary and middle schools in Texas. And can you guess the demographics of the schools that are losing not only their libraries, but their librarians? They are all predominantly Black and Latinx and low-income. And in place of the libraries, the superintendent is turning them into student detention centers, which first he rebranded to Zoom centers because everyone was like, excuse me, you're turning libraries into student detention centers? That is really bad optics. And he said, okay, well, they'll be Zoom centers because kids will be watching their the class they would be in on Zoom. And then they were like, that's even worse. Everyone hates Zoom. And so he was like, okay, well, let's call them team centers because there will be some group work happening, I'm sure, at some point in these detention centers. I I mean, team centers. And the community has been up in arms about this, but there's not really a lot that they can do on the local level because, like Unlady Emily said, the state has taken over at this point. But you know who's not taking this news lying down? It's librarians. Yeah, we are focusing this episode specifically on school librarians. And I just have to hand it to the librarians off the bat. Because as we have been hearing, especially in the past two years, news of book bans and censorship and all these things happening, librarians are really at the forefront of fighting to protect our libraries, protect intellectual freedom, and freedom to learn about lives and issues that might make white people uncomfortable, let's be honest. And the way that I learned about the library to student detention center plan in Houston was by a Twitter account from an organization in Texas called Freedom Fighters. Now, from the sound of that, Freedom Fighters in Texas, Kristen, who are you citing? No, that's Freedom Fighters, F-R-E-A-D-O-M, F Freedom Fighters. It was co-founded by Carolyn Foote, who is a former librarian And it's one of many organizations like this, both in Texas and across the country, that have really been activated over the past few years and are largely run by current and former librarians. Because something about librarians that I've noticed is that librarians really love what they do, and they're very dedicated to what they do. And what they do is often minimized and dismissed. Let's set aside Texas for a second. Something you need to know about the state of school librarians in the U.S. is that the numbers have been dropping, yes, since the pandemic, but they really started to go around the early 2010s with the Great Recession, Whenever it comes time for public schools to start trimming the fat, cutting costs, librarians 
are often seen as disposable. And I think a big reason for that is that a lot of people don't understand or appreciate what school librarians do, the training that it takes to be a certified librarian. You have to have a master's in library and information sciences. Like I mentioned a few minutes ago, you often have to have some kind of teaching certification as well. The exact requirements for school librarians vary from state to state, and they're doing so much more than checking out books. Strong librarian programs in schools are correlated to higher student achievement, higher standardized testing scores, higher graduation rates. And if we think, too, about elementary and middle school libraries in particular, an adequately staffed school library and a school that is invested in its library program can be so essential not only for kids' literacy skills, but also in this era of constant misinformation and disinformation, librarians are also there to teach media literacy, critical thinking skills, the kind of skills that kids need today arguably more than ever before, and really not just kids, also adults. So today I wanted to talk to someone who has firsthand knowledge of what's happening in Houston, the stakes of those 28 libraries being turned into detention centers, and also how librarians have become advocates and activists in an hysterically politicized culture war over kids reading books. Of course, the principals are not being encouraged to hire a librarian. We'll have over 100 libraries closed, I think, this year. My name is Debbie Hall. I think I fell in love with libraries, like maybe when I was about five, and I've adored them all my life. I have a master's degree in library science, and I have worked in public schools for over 40 years. My, my second career or additional career has been for the last 10 years as a library advocate. It just really bothered me not to see kids getting services. Some schools would not hire a librarian. They put in the clerk or uh, they would close their library. I have tried to do what I can to increase awareness of that and actually provide support for librarians who do have jobs and are helping offer more volunteer services to them so that they will be sure and succeed. Are there any particular misconceptions about what school librarians do and roles and responsibilities that are maybe overlooked or undervalued? Definitely. I'd say the vast majority of the librarians I have known and have experienced have many skills. And their people skills are perhaps the most important. We talk a lot in education right now about social and emotional learning. Mm -hmm. The library is a sanctuary. Absolutely. There are many kids who feel disconnected who don't have close friends at school. 
who might have to eat lunch by themselves, which is a stigma in itself. They feel at home in the library. There's always a place for them. Sometimes the librarian will befriend them and encourage them to help or become involved, to ask them their opinion, or sometimes just offer them a chair at a table where they can read or look for things or or do their homework. It is a sanctuary. Do you think that gender stereotyping contributes to librarians being undervalued, school librarians being undervalued? Well, we can't, we can't deny it. There are a lot of us out there that are women. And do we not get respect because it tends to be a feminine occupation? I'm sure of it. So tell me the backstory of Students Need Libraries in HISD. In 2016, I retired from the school district in 2011. And I had been, last maybe 10 years of my career, I had been the library technology administrator for the school district. So I worked for the Department of Libraries. We have 270 schools or something like that probably visited every single one of them over that 10-year period. But anyway, I had retired, and another friend of mine retired, and she and I started talking. We had heard a lot about, there weren't a lot, but there were some libraries we heard about being closed, and we knew that the staffing was going down in terms of getting professionals in the libraries and rather than just putting a, a clerk in there. We decided to organize. And so we created Students Need Libraries. We invited librarians to come to little meetings and we would uh, talk about different strategies. And we started being active and supportive and, you know, writing letters to the editor. Of course, it's really snowballed. We're writing the school board, writing legislators, we're meeting. My messages on my phone, you know, are like, falling out of the phone and marching across my desk. (laughs) Libraries can be an ecosystem where you have public libraries cooperating with school libraries and academic libraries and reaching out to other organizations. So we sort of are in the ecosystem mode. I was struck by a statistic that I read that the library spending obviously has gone down, but spending per student has gone up. So it doesn't really match up of like, oh, well, this is just a necessary cost savings measure. According to the folks who want to uh, shutter these libraries, like what is the, why? I love the fact that you bring up money. Everybody needs to be more aware of its misuse. The money is, is real interesting. You're asking, saying not much money maybe has been spent on libraries, but Actually, millions of dollars have been spent in the last two years, federal money. And almost every library received 20, 30 boxes of brand new books that were put on their shelves. And in the 
28 schools uh, that we know for sure the libraries are closed. We've seen some pictures recently of empty shelves where the books go. The libraries are well stocked, or at least they were until two months ago when the new superintendent came. Now, some quick context you need to know about Houston is that the previous superintendent was all about funding libraries and, importantly, getting certified librarians into schools and and specifically into under-resourced schools. So in just the 2022-2023 school year, the previous superintendent, Millard House II, brought on a dozen new librarians in the district and over 150 media specialists and re-outfitted 62 vacant school libraries across the district. We're talking new books, new materials like 3D printers, robotics equipment. And the thing is, y'all, that investment was already paying off. And we know that because of the statistics of books and library materials checked out by kids. Two elementary schools were seeing particular success with the library investment. Thurgood Marshall Elementary School and Raul C. Martinez Elementary School, they were both exceeding the state standards for a proficient library. Students were checking out books and materials left and right, okay? And if you want to see what a beautifully refurbished library now turned into a detention center looks like, you can head over to Unladylike's Instagram, where I will post a photo from... Thurgood Marshall Elementary, which is devastating, you can see that there are a few shelves of books that have been pushed to the outside perimeters of the room, and it is now just a sea of desks, just a sea of desks waiting to be filled with disruptive students. And at Martinez Elementary School, the librarian role was eliminated. Okay, back to Debbie. Mike Miles, he was in Dallas 10 years ago. I mean, the people I've talked to, of course, they're librarians mainly, hated him. You know, it's my way or the highway, Mike. And he closed high schools and middle school libraries for the most part. And he was only there three years. They're still trying to recover from it. Why, from my way or the highway, Mike's perspective, why would you shut down school libraries, specifically in schools that are struggling, I'm going to guess, with literacy? Like, how does that, how does that math add up? He knows that libraries are nice, large rooms. Mm -hmm. And his vision is that he needs a nice, large room where he can remove kids who are misbehaving. And that's why they called it the Zoom room. Every teacher has to teach with their door open. They have to record their lesson. So if somebody misbehaves, they're escorted out to... The Zoom room, which is turned out to be the library. 
he wants these little desks and they're like ah, just next to each other and just 50 or 60 or 70 desks filling up all the space that you would normally walk in and move around in. Because he said, on more than one occasion, all librarians do is check out books. And I'll guess if pressed, if they must read a book, they can come before school or after school and they can check it out on the honor system. What What is happening to the librarians who would have been staffing these now team centers? Like, were they just effectively fired? Well, you know, he immediately said that they could get a job in another school or they could teach or take a role at the school that, that they're at. But they'd have to, you know, interview and reapply. I don't know how many people will be without a job, but m- most of them have families to feed. The NAACP put on a rally. One of the people I talked to was a librarian who had lost her job, and she's going to stay at her school. And she's a single mom with two kids, and she has to have a job. Why should folks who don't live in Houston or even Texas, for that matter, care about what is happening with the libraries and HSID? Well, it's like COVID. It gets spread. Compared to now and the intensity of what librarians are facing with book banning and censorship, and has that been just a buildup over the years? Was there a tipping point? I wish it was like the flu. It would last a week and go away (laughs) or something. But um, it's more insidious than that. And I'm certainly working as someone who is opposed to censorship, who believes that everyone should have the ability to read what they want to when they feel they're ready. You should be able to go to the library and see different points of view represented. We've, that's always been the basis of, of what a library offers. What's really disturbing is Moms for Liberty. Mm-hmm. Ladies, I got to quickly pause here and give you a little Moms for Liberty context in terms of their impact on nationwide book banning and harassment of librarians, both at public libraries and school libraries. So Moms for Liberty is a group that has only been around since 2001 and already has at least 200 local chapters across the country. And one of their efforts is a terrible site called Book Looks, which compiles and tracks all of the allegedly sexually explicit materials that educators are allegedly like forcing upon America's youth. And here is the thing. While book banning is 
a problem across the country right now. It is, as Debbie says, a tyranny of the minority. The organization PEN America, which studies and tracks book banning and censorship across the country, identified at least 50 groups like Moms for Liberty that are responsible for the vast majority of book challenges and banning efforts and also laws that have been implemented in the past couple of years. These are groups that are pushing it. So these aren't just random, concerned parents. These are folks who are part of one of the massive groups in this, Moms for Liberty, but also here in Georgia and Forsyth County, a group called the Mama Bears relentlessly pushed for book banning in that district. And in addition to Moms for Liberty, there are other national groups like U.S. Parents Involved in Education, Mary in the Library, uh uh-oh, watch out for Mary, County Citizens Defending Freedom USA, and Power to, that's the number two, Power to Parent. And 70% of these groups have only been around since 2021. And one last note on Moms for Liberty. And ladies, you got to know, they are spending a lot of money right now targeting school board elections. So something I learned in the process of making this episode is that school boards typically are not elected, you know, like every four years or something. They are on a rotating basis. So you usually have a mix of new school board members in with the old. Keep those fresh ideas coming in. Moms for Liberty are spending money actively on this fall's school board elections. Where is all that money coming from? Do you have any tips on that? Let me know. I don't know if they're active in Georgia, but they're very active in Texas. We have something called the Reader Act, which is putting all book orders under intense scrutiny, making the vendors categorize the book as, I mean, give me a break, sexually explicit. You know, I've I've never seen a sexually explicit book in my definition in any public school. But if they don't want, if they declare a book to be sexually explicit, pornographic, they love that word. (laughs) They love to say that. And they love to read it. They love to go to school board meetings and read it aloud the most salient passages. It really disturbs me that they're so adamant about it. You know, they're organized. I'm organized, but they're organized too. Mm -hmm. So it makes for a battle. Why do you think that they have been so successful in getting legislation like the Reader Act passed, considering they have only They were founded quite recently, like only a few years ago. Well, I guess it's part of the conservative movement. That movement is embracing a lot of things like the anti-abortion stance and censorship and promoting private schools over public schools. I think it's all the same mindset Mm -hmm. because they have no problems deciding for others. And 
I keep saying when I'm retorting with one of them, you can choose anything to read you want or not, but don't step on my rights. Please don't step on others' rights. And they just keep going on. It's tyranny of the minority because they're so loud. I don't know. The, the other side is the majority, but, and, and they, and we're organized too, but they get the mic. Is there anything in particular that is giving you hope? I just think seeing people, you know, I, I can be pretty insular. You know, I probably have uh, uh, in my contacts a hundred librarians and I'm meeting parents, I'm meeting students who are just as upset as I am. And that gives me hope. Mm. In your personal experience in working, you know, 40 years in libraries, and what has kept you in it for so long? One of the highlights of my career was I did one year in, in an elementary school. And I, the, I found the young man, young, young, young man. He was a kid. He was in fourth grade. Okay. And he was very bright. But every time his class came, to check out books. Everybody else would be excited. We'd be talking about the books they were going to check out. And he'd say, thank you, but I don't really care to check out a book. And that just intrigued me. And so I, I thought about what, what I could offer him that would change his mind. So I found this book that was very uh, clever mm. and it just reminded me of him. So I I gave him a good little book talk about this book and he checked it out. And two days later, he came back for more, please. <sighs> and so I gave him another book by the same author. And then I ran out of books for that author. <laughs> and I, I borrowed those books from other libraries so that I could keep him fueled. Then a couple of weeks into this process, his mother came. And she said, I want to meet you because I have been trying for eight years to get him to read. Mm. And I'm writing a letter and putting it in your file. I think there are many success stories. That's my, the one I remember and hold to my heart. It's sharing technology skills. And I remember when the internet came into schools Mm -hmm. and you know, having a kid bring up his homemade computer and we did a dial up, you know, on a, on my AOL account. <laughs> you know, I remember getting a group together to string Ethernet cable in the ceilings of the school with supervision. I've experienced a lot of really neat things and so much potential there. I strongly believe we're all better for it. Unladies, show librarians some love. Support them. Librarians change lives. The library changed my life as a kid. And even though hearing about this kind of highly politicized, really, this really gross 
abuse of power happening in Texas and issues like book bans are really scary, yes, but it's important that we know what's going on. We know who to look out for, moms for liberty, mama bears, power to parents. (laughs) Um, I think it's really important that we are aware of the machinations behind all of this and also to better appreciate the importance of school libraries and school librarians and what they do as educators. In an era of constant misinformation, these are our media literacy leaders. The question is whether or not we're going to allow them to lead. If there are any librarians listening, I would love to hear from you. And if you are someone whose life was changed by a librarian, send me those stories too. I know there was a lot of bad news in this episode, so bring me some good news as well. And in the meantime, thank you so very much to Debbie Hall and to all of the current and retired librarians and activists in Texas, especially who are just day in, day out, fighting on so many different levels to preserve these institutions. You can follow Debbie on Twitter at Deb Hall. I would also recommend following at Freedom Fighters. And there are so many other similar organizations. There's probably one where you live, uh, and I can't list them all right here in the episode, so I will be linking to more resources on this in the show notes for this episode that you can find at unladylike.co slash episodes. And if you not only love librarians, but also love Unladylike, hey, Unladylike needs your support as well. Come on over and join the Unladies Room. For $5 a month, you get weekly bonus episodes, uncut interviews with some of our featured guests, and the peace of mind knowing that you are helping an independent feminist podcast survive in this tough digital media landscape. And I'm saying this in a voice, but I am serious. (laughs) Patreon.com slash unladylikemedia is where you can go and support and thank you to all the unladies who are already there i see you i love you and i thank you unladylike is an unladylike media production executive produced hosted written and edited by me Kristen conger mixing and mastering is by multitude productions our music is by flamingo shadow amit may cohen and sarah tudson until next week what is the most unladylike thing about you That's hard to say. I'm not a big fan of pink. (laughs) You know, lots of frills and lace and stuff like that. Nah. I want to be able to move and be somewhat free.